Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, Change Briefings Preparation Rule Number One, Individuals, Not Arguments. In today's cast, we debunk the myth that change briefings are about logic and suggest a different path, persuading individual team members. It's inevitable. You're going to be asked to lead or at least brief on change efforts that your organization is engaged in. Regardless of whether it's your idea or someone else's, you don't win people's energy to your cause by showing them how right you are. You win their support by showing them why this plan works for them. Here we go. You and I both know that managers make this mistake all the time, right? They have something important. They've, you know, they walk through 15 different scenarios. They have four different options in terms of a plan. Right. And then they want, they finally make a decision and they've, they've, you know, they busted their hump on this thing. And then they want to roll it out to everybody. And then they think that the way to brief it is to lay out the logic to everybody. And it doesn't work. <laughs> You know, the whole, I mean, as much as you and I pride ourselves in being logical, probably, I mean, to the detriment of, of other skills at times, I, I'm sure part of that's our engineering background. I can't tell you how many times I felt like I stumbled across a manager who said, yeah, I got the big briefing coming up next week. And I said, hey, let me see the slides. And he said, sure. And I look at him, I'm like, Wow. Where, where's the joy here? Where, where you know, wh- wh- what are you doing? What's the plan? Well, I, I mean, I'm briefing the plan. I said, uh, why are you briefing? Right. Right. Yeah. If it's just logic, you just lay it out in an email or yeah. something like that. Right. Why bother getting everybody in the same room? This problem comes up a lot, particularly when briefing a plan that folks don't come up themselves or they, or they weren't yeah. involved in the development of, right? So they're, yeah, when they're we're carrying less, the water, so to speak. Yeah. They're a little less emotionally attached to it. Yeah. We're likely a lot less engaged. In those situations, if it's our plan, you know, we, we have all the stuff in our head that led to it, right? So if it's not our plan, then probably what, what the case is, you know, usually what it is is that the manager has simply been briefed on the plan by other managers or some executive, somebody, my boss or your boss or somebody's boss's boss or what have you. And that briefing doesn't go well. They just laid out what was going to be done. And that just points to the fact that, frankly, sometimes briefings, the mistake of, of briefing it poorly and giving people less of the tools they need to make the plan exciting, doable, uh, engageable in, so to speak, starts at the top. Basically, somebody comes up with a plan, and whether it's staffed or not across the organization doesn't matter. They come up with a plan, and then they just proceed to tell everyone what the plan is rather than sell the plan. And, you know, I, I think we, we, we will talk for a minute and sometime in this cast about politics. And sometimes people say, well, we, gosh, we don't, you know, we don't want to sell stuff. We just need to lay it all out and people will get it. Well, I don't know. The great executives take time if they have a great idea and they say, okay, now what's the best way to communicate it? You know, how can we show the value for the organization and then also show those who enact it what the value is for them? As well. And sometimes it's hard to actually 
make a connection between the organization and particular individuals. And of course, no executive can do it for everybody in the organization. That's why lower level managers are left to carry the water because you've got to make the plan work for your folks. Right. Yeah. Okay. So everybody listening to this is smarter than that. And regardless of whether we come up with a plan or someone else does, which is often the case, the best way to start well with any plan is to brief it persuasively, right? Add some emotion to it. And that means considering your audience. So let's talk about how we do that. Yeah, that that word audience is so big. You and I have talked about it a bunch in the last few years about great presenters, great speakers focusing on their audience, not on the idea, not on the goal, but on the audience. So, okay, here's how. There are four points, very straightforward cast. And actually, the the key one is the first one. And, And number one is focus on individuals. In other words, focus on the people you're briefing, not on the plan. And there are three subparts to this, to focusing on examples. We're going to, we're going to talk about their goals, their communication or behavioral styles, which we think is very important, is a great communication tool for any manager or frankly, any professional. And then lastly, we want to give an example of how that might work. Probably over, oversimplified, but should be helpful, particularly for those who, uh, who are not familiar with DISC. One of the tools we recommend for communication and behavioral styles. Number two is after you've focused on individuals, underplay, as we've alluded to already, the logic of the plan. The idea you have doesn't have to be terribly compelling, and you definitely want to avoid arguments. In other words, you don't have to beat other ideas. It's not about how your logic is better than others. The more you spend time thinking about arguments and ideas, the less time you spend thinking about your audience. Number three, uh, again, uh, really a sub point, if you will, to the, to the first one is we want to underplay the history of the planning. A lot of managers make this mistake and we just want to, we wanted to touch on that. And then number four really is just there as a placeholder. So I think this would be a fairly brief cast, but there, there is more. Number four is there's more to it than this. This is one of those cases where we just don't, we can't cover everything in one cast. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So our first point is focus on the individuals and, and, it's interesting because we're saying focus on the individuals. We didn't say focus on the audience. And there's right. a difference between the audience, which is one thing, a large thing. And Great individuals. point. Yeah. In fact, I tell people all the time, you don't speak to groups. You speak to a bunch of individuals who happen to be aggregated together into something that looks like a group, but don't kid yourself. Exactly. The group doesn't think. The individuals in the group think. The fundamental principle we want to get into our heads is focusing on the people who are going to do the work and getting away from making a logical case. And it's simple. Why? They're the ones who are going to do the work. They're the ones that are going to implement the plan. Right. And again, this is just one of those misunderstood things. And, And look, I've made the mistake too early on in my career. I was lucky. I had some people tell me, Hey, think about it this way. And it became very clear that you could make, briefing a plan, carrying the water, if you will, a competitive advantage for you and your team. The way it was explained to me, and, and frankly, this was years ago, and I really didn't get it when it was first explained to me, was think for a minute about why we're briefing our teams, or, or really why we brief anybody for that matter. If the people you're briefing only just really need to know, if you're there just to simply inform them of what others are going to be doing, then a group briefing, a verbal briefing, is probably really unnecessary. You you could, I mean, you, you could really just send an email. If all you need to do is have your team know something, hey, by the way, 
you know, group X is doing thus and such, or this division is divesting and it's not going to affect us, but you need to know it just in case somebody asks, you could do that in an email or, or in a staff meeting as one of your bullet items. Right. Well, one could argue that doing it in a, in an email might be a more effective and efficient way to do it, right? If that's all you want to do is dispense information, then considering the venue in terms of the the cost of the yeah the the the, the value of folks' time um, yeah maybe maybe an email will be better <laughs> yeah. In fact, I, I know a couple of executives who absolutely consider this step. Okay, we've got a plan. Now, how are we going to communicate it? They consider it a complete competitive advantage because they go, "Who needs to know?" What's the value for them? How, how do we persuade them? We've got to get across core parts of it, of course, but, but how do we persuade them? And what's the best way to do that? And for some, it's email. For some, it's voicemail. For some, it's a briefing. For some, it's a one-on-one conversation with certain key people. And there's a strategy, at least a small internal strategy, if you will, in terms of communication around this. Yeah. And, and frankly, in five or 10 minutes, anyone who's listening to this can figure out who you would brief individually, who you'd brief as a group and make it a persuasive presentation, who you would send an email to, and so on. I, so. I didn't see that in one of our points here for this cast. Are we going to talk about that now? <laughs> oh, we, we just might. Look, if they need to do as opposed to just know, then we've got to focus differently. And by the way, I say the word focus. We're, our first point being focus on individuals. I, I don't like that because it's, we, we always talk about being actionable, um, and yet the word focus is not terribly actionable. But nevertheless, if, if your folks have to do something, if they're going to change their, if you need them to change their behavior, their priorities, uh, the task they're working on, then obviously we want their best effort. And look, if we want their best effort, don't we have to think for, for just a moment, what is the best way for him or for her to learn and get excited about this initiative? Wouldn't them being excited Increase the likelihood of good work and good results. I mean, yeah, of course it would. <laughs> yeah, and let me let me say one more thing. I know there's a group out there. As I'm listening to the cast, having written it and thought about it and so on, there's a group out there that says, you know, I'm not comfortable selling this. I I don't need to be persuasive. They ought, they ought to be impressed just with the logic of it. We we respect that. And there is a group that works for you. He's going, who is going to be impressed with the logic of it. But if you're the manager and you, you want to just sell or just talk about the logic, the larger part of your team is not going to be impressed only with the logic. And if you disagree with the logic of a plan that your boss comes up with and all your boss does is talk about the logic and you disagree with it, and we'll talk that more about that in a little bit then suddenly you're not going to be on board, right? Yeah. I, I've got an example, which is, is it's kind of silly, but uh, there was a goal. One of my senior managers had this this goal that would save the company uh, $10 million. Oh. Maybe more. So, yeah, so okay. over the course of a couple of years. So yep. it's a fairly significant objective. And there's absolutely logic that could, could not be assailed, right? The manager also said that if we reach this goal, he would shave his head. Okay, so what do you think <laughs> people got more excited about? The shaving of the head or the $10 million in savings? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's got to yeah. be the head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. There was no logic associated with shaving his head. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So what's going on? I'm sorry. So what, what are the specifics we need to focus on here? 
Yeah. Uh, look, when you're, when you're looking at an audience member, when you're thinking about being persuasive in your communication, and, and as I think some of, some of our listeners know, we believe that all communication by definition as human beings is a form of persuasion. There are two things to look at as you're thinking about crafting your, your, your message. The first is their goals. And the second is their communication or behavioral style. In other words, why, what do they want and how does this plan give them what they want? And then how do we communicate it in a language that will help them understand what it is that we're trying to do that'll help them get what they want? Look, think of it this way. Let's assume for a moment that everyone who works for you is already busy. I'm sure that's a stretch, but for now, let's just assume that. Look, if something new comes along, sure, you can just tell them that now they have to start working on something different. But really, when you do that, that is just an assertion of your role power. And frankly, as I think we've talked about before in other casts, it's using role power is pretty weak in most situations. And really, about the only ones where role power really matters is layoffs and terminations and promotions. Telling people is... It's just a weak form of communication or, for that matter, motivation. We recommend you go differently at this and you consider for a moment what their goals are. Look, everybody's got goals. Um, we'd like to suggest that a one-on-one every week for a half an hour with each of your directs will greatly increase the chances that you know what their goals are. If you can show them what you're recommending, what you're selling, if you will. I know some people probably don't like that word, but the fact is if you want to be a senior manager or an executive, you better get used to selling and persuading. If you can show them how what you're recommending or selling will help them achieve what they want, as opposed to this faceless entity that you all work for in many cases, they're much more likely to do their best on the plan. We're not telling you you need to lard up your plan with a bunch of incentives for them. Not at all. You just need to show them how the plan might appeal to them based on what their goals are. Which, which is kind of interesting to me because I, this is one of those points that you're making that I just really don't get because, of course, their goals are the goals I gave them, right? I mean, what, what, what other goals would they possibly have? Other than <laughs> yeah. Not that we're saying that your team might choose to give less than their best on a new task because they maybe don't understand it. Or because it's not in their annual goals, because, I mean, really, what manager goes around and updates their team's annual goals in June when they get a big new project, knowing that at the end of the year, they're going to want to capture that? Not too many. And, you know, how many of them will really give their best if it seems to be something that they have to do rather than something they really want to do? I mean, look, Ben Franklin said, would you persuade, speak of interest, not of reason. And when I talk about that in my, when we teach selling and marketing and so on, the, the point I make is when you're speaking of reason, it's always your reason. And then it becomes a battle of logic. And if you have anybody working for you that thinks they're smarter than you, they'll figure out a way to prove to you that you're not being reasonable. And then suddenly your argument collapses. Hmm. Yep. Good. Okay. So we focused on their goals and now we're going to focus on their communication or behavioral style. For those of you know who know how, and if if you're familiar with the DISC model, if you're not familiar with the DISC model, go back to some of our previous casts because you'll get a lot of tools right. for how to evaluate someone's communication style. But if you do, this is an indispensable technique. 
both for the delivery of the message and then for the kinds of skills and behaviors you want them to deliver to the project itself. Right? Exactly. So, right. Yeah. If you know DISC, you've probably gotten a pretty good sense of your team's behavioral tendencies. And we recommend that you utilize this awareness as you prepare your persuasive effort. Yeah. It goes back to that point in that you, you, um, set up for me real well. When you consider not the whole audience, but the members of your audience, right? Then things change. It's much easier to be accurate in predicting what other, other people's issues will be about a particular plan when you understand how they see things and what are their natural tendencies, how they tend to see the world. Many managers I know think to themselves, okay, what might be the objections to this? And the way we, we tend to fill that part of a briefing is we tend to simply externalize our own concerns and then address those. But that's just incomplete because probably only a fourth of the world, based on the, if you just believe in principle in the DISC model, only a fourth of the world would have the concerns that you have. The other three fourths see the world differently. It's not wrong. It's just different. Just different. Well, now might be a good time to actually give an example of what we're talking about. Yeah, um, th- this is an overly simplified example. I think you're right. I, th- I think this is a good way to help people see how j- we're going to just make a team of two, how th- this will help get people's minds flowing around. Okay, let me picture, if you're thinking about this cast in general and you're thinking, yeah, I got to do that and so on, hopefully the example will make you stop and go, okay, how many people do I have on my team? What do I know about them? How might I persuade them on an upcoming effort? So consider you've got a small team, two people. One is an inside salesperson, and the other one is a technical person doing customer support, but pretty technical stuff. Let's say your firm has decided to outsource warranty support for a given series of products. That's probably going to change the roles of the, of the sales, inside salesperson and the technical person. Maybe some of it's going to be big, some of it's going to be small, don't really know. But certainly these are people that need to know about the change, that no longer is your company going to be doing the warranty work in-house. Look, in this case, it's probable the decision has already been made. The question now really is, how can we get the most from, let's just, let's put names and faces these folks, Sandra, who is in the technical support role, and Robert, who's your salesperson. You start with this. Okay, what's Sandra going to want? Okay. We're going to assume some things about Sandra. We're going to make some suppositions. She is the tech support person. She's an engineer, a software engineer. She's going to want to know the steps and the new processes that are going to come out of this, right? There's got to be new processes. She's probably thinking to herself, where's the manual? Where's the processes, right? Just announcing this isn't enough. Somebody's got to work through all these details, right? She's going to want to know how the external folks will ensure quality, the the people who are working on the warranty stuff, right? She's going to want to know which of the 41 possible interactions she has with the customer will still be hers as opposed to going to some other external person and which will go to the other folks. She'll want to know that costs per support call will stay steady or go down. She'll want to know if the formula for her customer satisfaction average will change and if so, how? Okay, so those are some of the things that are in the engineer's mind, the accurate, correct, detail-oriented engineer that you have working for you. If you try to persuade Sandra, your engineer, 
your tech person with sales growth for the company or, or that executives at the top of the company will appreciate her flexibility or a sales force that will love her for her efforts on this, right? You're probably not going to get very far. That's just not the way Sandra is wired. Sandra and, and Sandra is not wired wrongly at all. The world makes sense to her and she's good at her job. But sales growth or people appreciating her, that's not what she gets up thinking about coming to work each day to do. On the other hand, if you tell her that this will improve, in other words, reduce the cost per contact, and it will reduce the number of quality escalations, which are always difficult because they involve conflict, which she doesn't care for, and it improves her total quality score because it gets rid of some of the really bad calls or support efforts that she needs to be involved in that involve warranty support. Um, and the reason we're outsourcing it is our warranty people internally aren't that good. And it's going to reduce the steps in the customer complaint validation process. Now she can get excited about the new part of her role. She can see that this is, this is better. Yeah. And if these are the things that you think of as a manager, then great. You, you would naturally tend to cover these things. Right. You're excited and she's excited and all's yeah. good. But Unfortunately, you have a second member of your team who's Robert, who has a different view. Yeah. And, and I mentioned something um, uh, about Sandra, but it applies to Robert as well. If these are not things you think about, now is the time to think about them. And if, in fact, the process, one of the processes that are involved warranties is your process and you haven't been told it's going to change. Folks, you may need to take the initiative to change it based on this new plan. If you assume the new plan has been briefed and everyone at the top has thought about the implication of on every single process and system in the organization and they've made the necessary changes and that's included in the briefing, you're crazy. You're they don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> they say they do, but they don't. We've got a responsibility to say, okay, here's the plan. What's the impact for us? And maybe with someone like Sandra, the answer is this gives us a chance, Sandra, to put your mind to work as a smart person who's, who knows systems, who understands processes. This gives us a chance to look again at our process and figure out if we can streamline it. Let's see if we can make it better in light of the fact that warranty work is going externally. Yeah. And this particular person uh, is not particularly comfortable with change. Right. So you better be you better be thinking about that because it's not enough to just sell the plan yeah. on things that are not important to her. Uh, so you have to sell what's not important to her. But you better th start thinking about what how it's going to impact her role. And when you're talking to Sandra, you better have some details in terms of how you're going to make that work, or at least get her to buy in and in terms of defining what those what those processes are. Yeah, we probably um, we probably over oversimplified this answer in the sense that with only two people, it makes sense to have two separate briefings. And I have to tell you, I would brief Sandra first. And I wouldn't feel bad that Robert says, well, gee, why'd you brief her first? I said, because she needs more time to get her heads around these things. And she's very process-oriented, Robert. Whereas I know I could just tell you and you'd be like, okay, tell me what I need to do. Right. If you brief Sandra with everybody else, say you do it all together, Sandra's going to be the one that is going to be asking a lot of tough questions. Oh my gosh. About the process, about the details. You're going to hate it. You're going to hate it. Yeah, you're yep. going to, you're going to be off your game and it it is not going to go 
go well. So it'd be better to brief her separately, yep. work through those issues with her, so that when you brief everybody else, you know, you're not fighting those alligators that snap at your feet. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, you, you alluded to Robert, so he's a different animal, right? He's probably more focused on people than on tasks, and he's more interested in his status with others rather than on being right or on reducing costs, reducing waste, and so on. To communicate this new plan to Robert, you got to take those things into consideration. Your goal will be to show him how the new process will give him more visibility. And again, this is an oversimplification. We're assuming facts, not an evidence here. We're going to show him how it'll help the sales force be more focused. In other words, he can really pay attention to fewer customers and do it better, each one. You'll tell him how he's going to be given more chance to influence customers, more opportunity to personally make sales, assuming these things are, are true. Since support was a weak point for the company and he spent a lot of time facilitating the support connections that needed to happen and that's not improving sales, right? You can tell him how many customers specifically ask for this change since he probably sees himself as a champion of customers and that he'll be the one communicating that the firm agreed with their input and so he can look good in their eyes as saying, hey, we heard you, I talked it up. And uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised in a salesperson if one of the statements was, hey, you gave me some input. I went and made that happen. And so now we have a new process. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and, and I say that with, with uh, all the best respect for Robert because I, I come out of sales and marketing. Right. The point here is that these are concepts that appeal to Robert and Sandra, admittedly two-dimensional cardboard cutouts here for the purpose of a short, you know, a 30-minute cast here. But these are concepts that appeal to their interests. Versus the logic of the plan, and really the logic of our plan is the next point, right? Right. It's our next point, and we're going to say underplay the logic of the plan. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason this is in here is because even though we're not normally fans of what not to do, because I've read books that have a whole chapters on what not to do, here's all the mistakes people make. I see this happen so frequently with clients, I just felt that, that we, ought, we ought to talk about it a little bit, right? I think you said something at the top of the cast about this, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, too many executives are enamored with the idea that all they have to do is share with folks the logic of the plan with those who, who have to implement it. And right. what this means then is that us managers, you know, the managers on the front line who have to get this stuff done right. are left with the plan itself and probably not a whole lot more than that. right? And, yeah. and then what far too many of us do then is simply share what we know. We take, it's just kind of this waterfall technique. We take what we know yep. and rather than doing our job, we just lay the plan out to everybody the same way we heard it. And we think about informing folks versus inspiring folks. And we don't talk about, we really don't talk about inspiration a, a lot, but it takes more than logic to inspire someone. Yeah. You, you know, it, it's funny. I think waterfall is a really good one. If you think about a series of waterfalls falling from a cliff and, you know, step one, step two, step three, we often talk about waterfall meetings, right? Where the CEO says X and the EVP say X1 and the SVP say X2 and so on. It comes down to your level. And many managers mistakenly believe they're communicated to and not communicated through. 
when you learn something from your organization, it's your job to communicate it to your team. They're not just telling you, unless they're told, telling you, you can't tell anybody this. Your job is to make sure your team knows. Everybody likes working for a manager who keeps the team informed about what's going on. But the issue is not just repeating what you've been told, but communicating it effectively, which means thinking about the listener. Because frankly, as we all know, hopefully by now, communication is what the listener does anyway. So if all you're doing is telling your team what your boss told you, you're completely ignoring the fundamental crux of communication, which is about the people who are receiving the knowledge. And that would have been you rather than your team. Right. And you got to add value to the information. It's not simply a matter of just passing it through. You got There's got to be some value add there. Yep. Because the, the logic of the plan is often what made sense to the person who decided. Right? Exactly. And that, that, that person may not be you. So it's their logic, not your logic. <laughs> and it's certainly not the logic that you and your team consider the most important. Right. Just because a plan makes sense doesn't mean that it's the only plan that would have made sense, right? Yeah. And, and you know what? When I started thinking about this, the number of examples to me are just phenomenal. I mean, think about the Nintendo Wii, the gaming console, right? Now, in hindsight, it looks like it made sense to take a different path than Sony or Microsoft because Nintendo didn't have as much money. Uh, they had to come up with something different and they came up with the accelerometers and the, and the wands. I don't know all the details of it, the technical details, but it would have been completely logical as well to say, we're only going to focus on the DS platform or we're going to do, we're going to try one more year to try to compete with them and we're going to come up with some really great games and, and this is going to be the year that Nintendo breaks through. No one would have argued that. That that would have been a, a great plan to keep producing. Yeah, when it's tough, when it's tough, sometimes the the answer is to to focus, right? Yeah, and they chose exactly. not to. And I bet you there were a lot of engineers in Nintendo that were saying, "No, we need to focus on the DS platform. That's yeah. what makes sense to them." Right? Exactly. Think about iPods. Right? It would have quote made sense unquote to make a great music player sort of a fundamental update to the genre from the original insights in the Sony Walkman, in which is, what, almost 30 years old, right? But iTunes is what really made the whole thing go, according to what I read. We, we certainly like iTunes. So iTunes turned out to be logical, makes sense, right? Even though just the iPod by itself was also logical, a really cool, really well-designed music player, that made sense, but it was really the iTunes, and that took longer than the iPod, to make it work. Right. Well, look at cutting employees in a downturn is completely logical. Right. Nobody, nobody argued that it would make sense. Right. Yeah. But if you, yeah. But if you knew the company had a solid experience in the last downturn, right? Last time it went very well. Right. And it was well capitalized, so you have the funds to continue. Right. Wouldn't it also be logical to make great hires when the hiring market? reduces competition for the best people that are out there. You have literally no competition in terms of securing the, the best resources. That would make sense. Yeah. And and for those of us who like talking about logic, talking about how logical a plan is hides what the real energy is in a new plan. And that energy is what matters to the folks who implement it. That's why small companies, people want to go to work for small companies because they're closer to the creation of the plan. They get a voice in the plan. They get, they get inspired by the plan because they have a say. 
If you're at a bigger company, you don't, don't as often have a say. And so the manager has a responsibility to inspire, to breathe life into the people who are actually going to be working on it. That's the manager's job. It's one of the reasons that so many people say, oh, I'd love to work at a startup. Oh, don't want to work at a big company. And yet big companies do fabulous things all the time. And a lot of times it's because managers are carrying the water about new plans or changes in plans, and they do a great job of inspiring the people who actually have to implement the plan. Yeah, and the, the idea doesn't have to be compelling, right? Yeah. The thing we're talking about could be something like, we're changing our vendor for hauling away you scrap, right? But look, there's nobody who's going to go, that's the company I want to go to work for, one who changes a vendor on their scrap removal, right? The plan can be totally mundane, not earth-shattering. It doesn't matter. If our team is going to implement it, if we're related to it, if we're going to have to change our behavior around it, we recommend not buying into how cool or logical or good or interesting the plan is. Our job is to make whatever the plan is exciting, effective, helpful, valuable, whatever, choose your word, to the people to whom we're communicating it. So don't believe that if you've got a a lame idea or a boring new initiative, that it's your job just to pass along it's lame and boring. If your people are going to be affected by it, you've got to figure out a way to say, here's how it's going to be better for you. The first two times you do this, you may scratch your head. And that's worthy time spent scratching your head to learn more about your people and more about how the things they do are going to change and how you can make new things they're going to do change for the better. Right. Yeah. We also recommend that folks avoid what is a common mistake, which is laying out the argument as to why plan A is better than plan B. You don't have to beat other ideas. Folks know they're out there, but look, they think differently than you do. This idea of somehow that you have to justify the selection of this plan versus the other plan is just, it's a common way of of kind of putting forth a plan with quote unquote logic. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to inspire, inspire people, right? Yeah. In other words, many of us think that by showing logically how this plan was better than the others, that's somehow going to inspire people to great to great heights. Well, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, right? It doesn't, right? <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, I, I didn't like any of those plans. All of them require me to change my work. I get no additional incentives. It seems like my work is going to be harder. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why should I like any of your stupid plans? Yeah, well, as a matter of fact, I like plan C. You picked A, but thanks for laying out the arguments because now I want to talk about why plan C is better. Yeah, and this goes back to murdering the unchosen alternative, right? Once you chose A rather than B, you don't need to you don't need to give A and B another run through for everybody. Brief A. Brief why A is better for the people who are listening to the briefing at the time. Right. In the context of A, not in the context of B and C. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, yeah, you're not going to prove to everybody anything. There's always going to be one person who's going to say, well, I know why you chose A and not C. And, and they're going to ask five questions and take all the steam out of your argument. So, yeah. And you know what? That leads us into another one that's almost it's almost the same, but but we see this one a lot. And again, we're not big fans of of what not to do, but we just want to make sure you you may catch yourself doing this when you're asked to carry the water, not waterfall it, but carry the water. Don't think that by telling the story of how there were three plans and this one won, or how there were two factions and a bunch of executives in our division had the plan that was adopted, that that's going to excite your team. 
we don't recommend you get into the whole history of the planning. That's the kind of inside baseball talk that too many of us use. And unfortunately, I think a lot of managers, I've seen this, they do it to make themselves look good, that we know this stuff, that we were in in the war room when these discussions were happening. But again, that's not what the briefing is about. The briefing is about the team and not us. And so we don't talk about how we were involved or not involved or what really happened behind the scenes or or intrigue or so on, because all it does is make it look like politics and people don't care. They want to know how it's going to affect them. So enough said, stay away from how which plan won or why it was better in terms of the history of the planning. Well, man, there's there's a lot more to this than we've covered today. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those topics that we cannot reduce to one cast or probably even 10. We've talked before about various parts of the presentations of, of, of persuasion, and there's just tons more. And frankly, we found that executives are noticeably better at this kind of managerial work. And this is managerial work. It's not just executive work. Executives are better at it than those who don't become executives. And we believe part of the reason is because some managers focus on these kind of things and distinguish themselves as future executives because they understand the importance of persuasion. Yeah, you know, and some people might call this politics, the effort to persuade, to show, to inspire around a particular plan. But you know what? Efforts of persuasion at customizing your delivery, at considering your audience, you know, if that's politics, we don't think there's anything wrong with that. I want a boss who attempted to show me how the plan benefited me or what parts of the plan that were going to hurt me were necessary in some way. So the point is, there's more to it than this. Stay tuned for more. Uh, maybe not next week, but we'll continue to come back to this because we just see it as a huge opportunity for for many of us as managers. Right. So next time you come out of your, your staff meeting with your boss, yep, and there was some kind of decision you have to go present to your team, then just go through these steps. Focus on the individuals. Think about what their goals are. Then focus on their communication behavioral styles. We went through earlier on the cast how to do that, an example of how to do that. Right. Then remember to underplay the logic of the plan a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't. the idea doesn't matter. You don't need to get into arguments at all. Exactly. And then don't talk about the, the, the history of the planning. Underplay that completely. Focus on the idea itself. Yep. And we'll be back. And then, yeah, we'll have more to say in the future. All right, my friend. Thanks, partner. See you. Well, that's it, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. And we'll see you all again next week. And if you haven't checked out the new website yet, go ahead and do so. www.managertools.com. We'll see you there. Have a great one, folks. So long.